We're walking through Paul's letters, and I've, I've, I've told you we have a special knowledge about Paul. Because of our time in Acts, because of the, the journey we made through the book of Acts, we have a special knowledge about Paul. And so I thought it would be great for us to do some broad overviews of Paul's letters because we know where he was when he wrote them. We have a little better understanding of why he wrote them. And so we're going to use that knowledge to understand these letters a little bit better, and we're going to have a broad overview of each of the letters. And that's, that's my intention. That's what we're doing today. But I have to make a confession to you. I thought doing a broad overview of these letters would be much easier than what it is. It's hard. It's hard for me to look through this and pick out the things that I want to share and to help you understand the broad picture of it. And I've been thinking about that this week and, and, and it dawned on me that any time you have a continued story, it's hard to narrow it down, to, to throw out the details and narrow down the essence of it. So think with me, if you will, of a continued saga story. Like maybe you're a fan of Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia, maybe. Or, or maybe you're a movie buff and you like the, the continued saga of, of the Star Wars stories, or maybe you're a Fast and Furious fan. You know the story, the continued saga and stories. And if you try to narrow down that continued saga into one quick line, like if you try to narrow down, I'm not a Star Wars fan, but I think I can narrow Star Wars down to there's a battle in the universe, some use the power for good, some use the power for evil. That doesn't really tell us much. And if you're a good Star Wars fan, you would want to tell me much more about that. You would want to dive in to the stories, and you would want to begin to tell me about the iconic characters like Darth Vader and Han Solo and and Jar Jar Binks and all of those necessary characters for the storyline. And as you began to give me more and more details, we would lose the overarching storyline as we got more and more into the details. But for you, for those who love the story, the story is in the details. If you don't tell the details, if you don't get to share the things that you really love and how they all intertwine and go together, if you can't share that about the story, you don't really get to share how much you love the story. And so as I have been working my way through Galatians these last couple of weeks and looking at it, I I keep thinking, I want to pull back. I want to just give a broad overview of what Paul is saying in this letter. And then I begin to get into the details and I start to think, well, I have have to share this detail, and I have to share the way that detail works into this detail, and I have to share how he used this argument to make this point, and all of a sudden, I'm so deep in there, I think we're, you're going to miss the broad overview. And so, I just, I'm, I'm saying all of that to say, bear with me in the midst of this. This is much harder than I thought it would be. And so, I, what I really need, and I mentioned this to you at the end of my message last week, I hope I hope that you spent some time this week reading Galatians as a letter. That's what it is. Galatians is a letter. Paul wrote Galatians. If you remember, he traveled through, on his first missionary journey, he and Barnabas traveled through the area of Galatia. They they started churches. They they went through one way, and then they went back the other way. You can see it on the map there. They, they, They visited each of those cities twice, 
They established churches, they put leaders in place, they prayed over them, they set up these churches, they got back to Antioch, to their home base, and when they got to Antioch, they got these, these men from Jerusalem came and they began to share with Paul and Barnabas about how there was, there was some Jewish believers that had gone out from Jerusalem and they'd gone into Galatia and they began to tell the people in the Galatian churches, the ones that Paul just left, they began to tell people in those Galatian churches, the Gentiles, that they needed to be circumcised and brought into the Jewish family in order for them to be true believers. And Paul and Barnabas were just so upset. They began, and when we walked through the story in Acts chapters 13, 14, and 15, we, we, just, we saw that, that Paul and Barnabas, they were upset. They, they, they began to debate these men who brought this, this story to them in Antioch. Um, and, and it became such a big debate that Acts chapter 15 is actually the first church council. That's, the, that's where, where Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem and they met with the early church leaders, with Peter and James, and they met with them and, and they just began to talk this through. Do you have to be circumcised in order to be a believer? And before, the, before Paul goes to Jerusalem for this council, he writes this letter. This is his first letter that we have. He writes these letters to those churches in the Galatian area, those churches that he had just left. He writes this letter, and he wants them to know that you don't have to be circumcised, that there's freedom from circumcision. There's freedom found only in Christ. That's the point of this letter. In fact, some, some uh, commentators would call this letter, the, the, the letter to the Galatians, that this is the declaration of independence that Paul writes. It's the foundational document that Paul uses in the New Testament to declare freedom. Pastor Stephen, as we talked about it this week, he, he called it the Magna Carta, which I think is even more insightful than the Declaration of Independence. It's the early foundational document to say what we have known before this time is no longer true, and what we know from this point forward is freedom. That's what Paul's trying to do in the book of Galatians. If you have to narrow it down to one sentence, that's what it is. There's freedom in Christ. But Paul doesn't just say it that way. He has all kinds of other details that we've been working through as we've been looking at this story. He starts in those, those first couple of chapters, and this is what we talked about last week. He, just, he, he lays out his authority he talks about how, how he actually got this message from the source that Jesus Christ met him on the road and gave him this message. And then through the process of, of time and ministry, he came to know it more and more and then was called before the disciples, shared the message that God had given him and the Holy Spirit that was at work in him. And the disciples themselves verified and checked off the message that Paul was preaching even before he took it to the churches in Galatia. The same Holy Spirit, he says in chapter 2, he says the same Holy Spirit that Peter, that worked in Peter so that he could take the message to the circumcised, to the Jews, is the same Holy Spirit that works in me, Paul says. And I took the message to the uncircumcised. I took the message to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And they gave him... He says in chapter 2, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. They verified the message that I was sending. I took it out, and I took it to the churches in Galatia that there's freedom found only in Christ. And then he says, so he shares all of that, chapters 1 and 2, and then says, but, 
But when Cephas came to Antioch, when Peter came to Antioch, all of this freedom talk that we have been talking about, Peter shows up in Antioch, and now instead of, instead of hanging out and eating with the Gentiles in the way that he had been previously, when the Jewish people, when the Jewish leaders show up in Antioch, now all of a sudden Peter steps back. And he won't do what he's been doing. He won't eat with the Gentiles in the way that he had before. And he shows that there's this this difference. There's an us versus them kind of difference. And Paul says, when Peter did that, I got into his face. I said, Peter, you can't do that. There's freedom. That All believers are the same. Gentiles and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised. We're all the same. And he shares, and this was the crux of what he shared, in in chapter 2, in verse 20. I hope that you have your Bibles open to Galatians so you can follow along today. In chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There's freedom found in Jesus, and I don't live. He lives in me. That's the summary, really, of chapters one and two. We're gonna dive in. We're gonna try to knock out three, four, five, and six here, and I hope to give you the broad overview with helping you to see a few of the details. Remember, this is a letter. There was no, when Paul Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians, he did not say, now, chapter three, verse one. There was no verse or chapter designations. It was one long letter. One argument leads to the next and leads to the next. And he continues to come back to some of these same themes over and over. So for us, we're jumping into chapter 3. But for Paul, he was continuing on with the message. He says in chapter 3, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's so frustrated, he's so exasperated, is the word we used earlier this morning as we prayed together as a worship team. That's that's the theme of this letter. Paul is exasperated that someone has come to these churches in Galatia and tried to mix up the gospel and tried to turn their eyes to something else. And so he says, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Your eyes have turned from Christ. He says in verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Is it faith or is it law that works in you? Instead, he says, what began by the Spirit, are you now trying to perfect it by the flesh? God began to work inside of you, and now you're trying to do it through your own strength. And he remembers As he continues on, there in verse 6, he remembers, just as Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Hearing comes from faith, he says. So he begins to talk about Abraham and Abraham finding faith in Christ. You know the story of Abraham. I'm not going to go back and, and talk about all that, but Abraham comes in the book of Genesis. God calls Abram. And, and gives him a blessing and says that he is going to bless all peoples through Abram, through his family, through Abraham and Sarah, that, that, there's, that his descendants are going to be so great, they're going to be greater than the stars in the heavens or the sands on the seashore. And it was credited to him, his faith was credited to him as righteousness, God tells us. And we come here, Paul comes here and he starts to talk about 
Abraham. And he says, Abraham was not living by the law. He was living by faith. In fact, he says, if you look down in in chapter 3 there, uh, verse 17, this is what I mean. He says, the law came 430 years afterwards. Abraham was, was credited with righteousness because of the faith that he believed in the promise that God had given to him. And it wasn't because Abraham obeyed the law, because the law did not exist. And it wasn't that God gave this promise to Abraham and then said, here's the promise, now here's the law that you have to fulfill to to make that promise come true. Abraham didn't know the law. The law didn't even exist. The law doesn't even come for 430 years later when it comes to Moses. So Paul even continues on in chapter 3. In verse 19, he says, why then? Why the law? If, if Abraham had freedom in faith, in righteousness in faith, why is there a law at all? And so Paul begins to explain it here in chapter 3. He says, there's really two reasons. There's two reasons why we have the law. There's two reasons why the law exists at all. The first, he says, in chapter 3, if you're following along, he says, is the law, in verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed come from the law. That's not why it exists. But instead, he says in verse 22, Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. He says, the law came. The law came so that you could see what was required. The law came so that you would see all the requirements that were of the law, the requirements that were necessary for you to have righteousness on your own ability. He says, the law came, but instead it imprisoned us. The law came so that we didn't see our righteousness, but instead we saw our sin. The law came so that we saw all of the things that we did not live up to. Scripture, the law, imprisoned us, everything under our sin. We could not see freedom because of the law. And then he continues on now in verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. And then he gives a second reason here. So then, he says in verse 24, the law was our guardian until Christ came. He was our taskmaster. He was the the example that we had to live up to. So it imprisoned us. It it held us captive in in all of the ways that that we could not do what was right. But it also gave us a standard for us to live up to. It gave us a standard so that we might know what was wrong. So that we could later be justified. It says now in verse 25, chapter 3, verse 25. Now, faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, therefore, or there is neither... Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The law came to imprison us, the law came as a taskmaster for us, 
until Jesus came. And then everything changed. The law put us in prison. The law was a ruler against which we could never stand up against. A guardian, a taskmaster. But then Jesus comes. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise, he says at the end of chapter 3 there. Christ changed everything. And then he goes on and tells us more about that good news in chapter 4. He starts right away at the beginning of chapter 4. He says, he says at the end of chapter 3, he says, You are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, you are heirs according to the promise. And then he says, I mean that as an heir, as long as he's a child, he's no different from a slave. He skips down. Let me skip down just a little bit. He says, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So now you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. You're no longer enslaved by the law. You're no longer enslaved by sin. But not only are you free, but you have been brought in to the family. You are an heir You are a son of God. In fact, a son that calls out Abba, Father, tenderly, you can cry out to God. You're no longer enslaved, but now you are free like a son. And then he goes on to tell more of that story here in chapter 4. He uses uses an illustration talking of sons, that you are now sons. You're free like sons. You're no longer enslaved. You're free like sons. And he tells the story of, of two of Abraham's sons there in chapter 4. He says there's, there's two sons. One is a slave and one is a free son. One comes from Hagar. One comes from Sarah. And there's two sons, one a slave, one a free. And he says the slaves, the son that's a slave does not inherit the reward but the free son inherits the reward and then he jumps right into chapter 5 I want you to look right away at chapter 5 he, he says, he says there's, there's not freedom for the son of the slave but there is freedom for the son of the free woman and then he says in chapter 5 for, for freedom Christ has set us free stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery Remember, this is all about circumcision. It's all about some of those those men that came in and said, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. You have to obey the law. Paul says, you've been set free from the law, but these men said, you have to obey the law, you have to be circumcised. And so here he says, now in Christ you have freedom. Do not return. Do not go back to the slavery that you had in the law, the requirements of the law but we are free in Christ. If you remember, this is, remember, this is a letter. He's, he's writing it. He's exasperated. He goes back to several themes, back and forth, back and forth. 
Here, in chapter 5, if, if you follow along there, he says, for freedom in Christ is as free, stand firm, don't go back to the yoke of slavery. And he says, um, he continues on, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And goes on uh, to, to verse 7, he says, he says, you were running well. He says to the Galatians, remember, you, you had faith. I was there. I established those churches. You were doing so well. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying this truth? He says, he's exasperated. And then goes on in that same paragraph, he says, he says, I wish that those in verse 12, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. When they're in the process of this circumcision, I wish they would just go all the way. That's how frustrated Paul is. That's how exasperated he is. Who did this to you? You were doing so well. You were running. You were, you were growing. You were doing just what we, you had freedom in Christ, he says. And now you're slowed up. You're hindered. You're, I wish that they would just emasculate themselves. And so then after that frustration, after he says, I wish they would emasculate themselves, he says, you were called to freedom, Brothers. And let me tell you what freedom looks like. Let me show you what it means to live in the freedom that comes through the Spirit. And so he closes out chapter 5, he closes out chapter 6, he closes out his letter by saying this is what freedom looks like in the Spirit. He says, starting in, in verse, um, we'll, start, we'll start in verse 14 there. Chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you were, well, in verse 13, you were called for freedom, brothers. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this, this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And then he says, in verse 16, wants them to see what it means to live by the Spirit. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to one another. They keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then he says, starting in verse 19, he says, these are the things that lead to sin. If, you, if, if, you're, if you're following in the flesh, these are the things that you're going to see. The works of the flesh are evident. Their sexual immorality, their impurity, their sensuality, their idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. These are the things that when you are lost in your flesh, when you're trusting in the ability of your flesh, these are the things that you will have as a part of your life. And he's saying, take those things off. You had, when, when you placed your trust in Christ, those things came off. And instead, instead put on the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. He says when you follow the flesh, all of these things, sexual immorality, impurity, sorcery, all of those things, all of those things were part of who you were. But he said also, following the law, that was what he told us in chapter 3, following the law also led to death. Following the flesh, trusting in the flesh, leads to death. Trusting in the law leads to death. We need something else. Flesh, 
following after our own sin and selfishness, that's going to lead us far from God. All of these things that he just listed are going to be a part of our lives. If we trust in the law to do it, that also is going to lead us to death. And so we need something entirely different. We can't do it on our own. If we do what we want to do, if we do what our heart calls us to, if we try to fulfill the desires of our heart, we're going to find ourselves lost in sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. If we try to trust in the law, it's also going to lead us to death because we cannot live up to the law. And so if we're really going to have freedom, we have to have something else. And Paul says that something else It's the Spirit at work in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have been crucified. They have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is at work in us. He'll say it in his letter to the Colossians, I, I talk about this, this all the time. He says, what's, what's, our, what's our hope in glory? It's the spirit at work in us. That's the mystery of the gospel. The spirit at work in us is our hope and glory. That, that we don't have to trust in our own sinful nature. That's going to lead us to this horrible list. We don't have to trust in the law because we cannot keep the law. So instead, what we trust in is that God, the Holy Spirit, is alive and at work in us. And he... He will help us to live the life of freedom that we have in Christ. If we live by the Spirit, we'll keep in step with the Spirit. Freedom in Christ has set us free so we can stand firm against the yoke of slavery. He goes on, as he, 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 he says, the Spirit is at work in you so you can take off all of these all of these old things, the works of the flesh, you can take those off. You can put on the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things begin to be a part of who you are. You're taking off the sin. You're putting on the work of the Spirit. And then, when, he, when he, he's writing his letter, he, he, he says, you're going to put all these things on. And then he closes the letter. So we jump into chapter 6. He closes the letter to say, this is not a solo activity. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too are tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He says, this is, this is for you to do together, corporately. You cannot do it on your own. There's no lone rangers in the Christian walk. You have to do it together. We have to do it as a church. We have to do it as a group together. Let us not grow weary in doing good, he says in chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of the faith. We need each other to do this well, to experience the freedom we have in Christ. We need to do it together. 
he closes. The worship team's going to come, but I just want to show you these last couple of verses. As you know, or as you, as you will see, we, uh, Paul doesn't always write his own letters until he gets to the very end. And so he says, even here in chapter 6, he says, see with this large letters that I'm writing. I'm writing these with my own hands. He says, far be it from me to boast at the end of chapter 6. Far be it from me to boast, he says in, chapter, in verse 14. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. As all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy are upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul says, our salvation does not come, does not come from our outer body. It does not come from fulfilling the law with our outer body. It's not about looking down, but instead it's looking inside to a new heart, to a new spirit. Our salvation is not found by any outer marks, but by inner fruit that the spirit begins to work in us. That is our hope and glory. Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, to those churches in the Galatia area, and he says, don't get lost in trying to fulfill the law with circumcision. Instead, look in. Find freedom in Christ. Find freedom in the hope that the Spirit is at work in you and then together as a body, race after God. And do it together and find freedom in Christ. Next week, we're going to continue on in this series looking at the letter, the first letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. So if you want to to get ahead a little bit, to read through that letter, that First Thessalonians letter, and begin to understand Paul as he writes it as a letter. I hope that you'll take some time this week to do that. We're going to sing of our trust in Christ alone this morning. Will you stand with me as we worship together? Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving ceases. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love, righteousness, Scorned by the ones he came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live There in the 
ground His body lay Light of the world by darkness slain Then bursting forth in glorious day Up from the grave He rose again And as He stands in victory Since curse has lost its grip on me For I am His with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me benediction this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, another one of Paul's letters, and he says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.